Hello to everyone tuning in to the Aerospace Ambition podcast. I'm Kieran, joined by my fellow co-host Marius. As aerospace engineers, our focus is on the intersection between sustainable aviation, climate change and AI. In this episode, we're exploring the practicalities of avoiding and managing contrails, the ice clouds formed by aircraft and crews, which warm the climate at least as much as aviation CO2 emissions. Marius, who do we have the pleasure of hosting today? Today, we are thrilled to have Alejandra Martin Frias join us on the show. Alejandra is at the forefront of operational contrail management, serving as the head of contrail research and sustainability at FlightKeys. Additionally, she's pursuing an industrial PhD focused on contrail mitigation strategies. Recently, she showcased her innovative work at the Sustainable Skies Conference, where she collaborated with notable organizations like Breakthrough, Google and American Airlines. Alejandra, welcome on the show. Hi, thank you, Marius. Thank you, Kieran. It's a pleasure to be here. I've listened to all of your episodes and it's an amazing podcast. It's very kind of you. <laughs> it's great to have you. So you pursue your PhD in Madrid, right? And you, you work with Flight Keys, your, the company you work with in Vienna. Exactly. What do you prefer, Madrid or Vienna? Oh, <laughs> oh wow. That's a tough question. <laughs> uh, either my PhD tutor or my boss are going to get very upset. <laughs> I mean, th they both have their advantages and disadvantages, uh, but it's a great collaboration um, because on the one hand you do the research, which is more university focused and the PhD focus on the publishing, but then it's amazing to be working on this specific topic and see that the research that you're researching goes directly to the operation um, basically in a couple days or in a couple months. So it's very rewarding to see and you get to meet great minds from the academic world, but also the people who actually make the decision in terms of the operators and the policymakers and people in the industry. So I, I would say that I'm like Hannah Montana and I have the best of both worlds here. <laughs> uh, a bit of a millennial reference. <laughs> I guess most of the audience are not in that, in that category, but uh, yeah, so very blessed. <laughs> So you mentioned that um, uh, part of your uh, daily work is uh, flight planning um, and you're working right at the intersection of research and flight planning, which makes it very interesting. So what is the chain of events required to take an aircraft from A to B? Can you take us through the process a little bit? Uh, yes, of course. Um, if if you don't mind, I'm going to make a little introduction into flight, what flight keys is, because maybe some of the listeners are not aware of what it is. So FlightKeys is one of the main flight planning service providers. It's a software company, and they provide a wide range of services from rain prediction to the flight planning tool, which is the core product of FlightKeys, and then uh, support for pilots during the flight through an EFB uh, electronic flight bag uh, tool called Loretta. And yeah, so we follow the entire process of designing a flight, so to say, from origin to destination, the hours, the fuel required, the mass calculations, and everything necessary for the flight dispatchers to get a sense of what trajectory the flight is going to fly, how much it's going to cost, how much fuel is going to be needed, how that fuel is going to be distributed in terms of reserve, of crews, of uh, any tankering options, of course. Um, so it's a very complicated Uh, thing. <laughs> It's a very complicated software. Um, and then from that, 
uh, once the flight is is ready to to be used, the, the trajectory is designed, then the flight dispatcher can choose to file that flight. Eurocontrol or the aircraft, the aviation organization in charge would approve that flight. And then this flight will be sent to, a, to the electronic flag bag so that the pilots can check the route and the flight level required for the minimum cost throughout the entire route. Uh, flight keys, like many other service providers, they are specialized in giving the minimum cost route to all airlines. That in many cases also means the least fuel, but not always. It's specialized in minimum cost. It's a great product. <laughs> if anybody's looking for a flight planning software, highly recommend Flight Keys. Um, one of the things that really sets Flight Keys apart at the moment is your pursuit of contrail avoidance and contrail management. So as far as I'm aware, you're conducting various trials, right? So in the previous episode, we had we had a question from Beth and Owen. Um, and that was, how can we develop a fast response prediction of ice supersaturated regions? So these regions in which persistent controls form, the ones which warm the climate the most. Um, so how can we develop this fast response prediction of these regions in order to enable effective and reliable control management? Okay. Um, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, what we do in flight keys which we believe it's the, the way to go. So this is why I'm going to answer this question this way, is we import the ice supersaturated regions predictions, the ISSRs, into our system. And on the pre-tactical phase, so when we are still calculating the trajectory or the, the lower cost trajectory for the flight to fly, uh, we account this ISSRs in the mix for those flights that we want to avoid controls. And then, of course, the ISSRs change through time. So if we're planning a flight 10 hours before the departure time, that those ISSRs can change because meteorology, the farther away on the path you go, the least precise it is. So then that's what the EFB tool, Loretta, stand is used for. Because So we plan this flight 10 hours before departure, let's say, and we reroute around the predicted ISSRs that we have at that moment, the best prediction of ISSRs that we have at that, at that moment. But then right before the flight, the pilot can update uh, this ISSR predictions and get the latest ones that are available at the moment of the flight. So then any last minute changes that could happen during the flight. So let's say, oh, the ISSR that was predicted to be in this area, now it's moved slightly to this other area. Then the pilot knows that right before the flight and during the flight, it can he can he or she can ask uh, ATM to make a slight change, a small reroute uh, during the flight to account for this small change compared to the pre-tactical prediction. You've got two different tools that address this problem of control avoidance. You've got Flight Keys 5D and you have Loretta. Yes. Can you explain the differences between those two tools? Is it one's applied for pre-tactical, one's applied for tactical? Is that is that the key difference there? Exactly. So Flight Keys 5D is the tool that flight dispatchers use to calculate the trajectories, the fuel, the cost, and all of the data that goes to the flight before the flight takes place. And they can play around with that. So the system gives you a trajectory, a certain amount of alternates, of routes, of uh, uh, stars and SIDs to take off and land, and all of this um, aircraft aircraft or flight data. And then once the dispatcher is 
happy <laughs> with, I guess, the route, then they can file it. And then it's up to the authorities to approve this flight plan. And then this flight plan is sent to the pilot who's going to be the one that essentially is going to fly this flight. And then they're going to be able to see in flights, they're going to be supported. It's kind of like a, a classic EFB that they already have in the aircrafts showing uh, the different flight levels that they're supposed to fly and the different um, points in the route that they're supposed to touch upon. With the difference that in this one, it's more modern, cooler, and you have a comparison of the, so you have like a projected, it's, it's very hard to show without an image, but um, along the route that was planned, there's this green area that shows the pilots in flight what is the most cost optimal area for them to fly across. Because again, so last minute changes compared to when you plan it pre-tactically could be weather changes, could be contrail changes. And now in flight, you have a more cost optimal solution, more cost optimal flight level that you didn't account for when you were doing the pre-tactical analysis. And then it's up to the pilot to decide to maybe request a flight level change or to stay where it is. And all of this, you can see it. So how much would how much fuel would it cost to us for a, um, a flight level increase or decrease or any changes throughout the flight? So it's basically a tool to support pilots. The flight dispatchers has nothing to say about it, and the pilots only see their own flights um, during the yeah during during the flight. And it's a great tool because we also believe in flight keys when it comes to control avoidance that as many people, that's important that everybody along the way is informed of what contrails are. And since pilots are the ones that finally are gonna take the decision to avoid them or not, <laughs> um, they, it's, it's great that they are involved in this and that they know why they should request a flight plan, a flight level change last minute, um, because it's important because this way they would save this amount of energy forcing by avoiding this controlled region, this ISSR region. And I don't know if you know, but my boss, Raymond Saab, and many other founders in the, in the company are pilots, um, and they've been pilots for, for many decades. So this is something that for them, it's very important to keep the pilots uh, within the loop of all of these changes and to make tools that are pilot-friendly, so to say. Right. You've mentioned the EFB, so the electronic flight bag, uh, multiple times. And I guess along this process chain of avoiding or managing contrails, um, there is a different differentiation to make. And that is, um, you could, well, actually deviate flights and run experiments like that, right? So you actually reroute aircraft and, and gather the data. But there's also a great value in doing simulations because there you have much more information at hand um, and you could generate uh, much more, well, data um, to be analyzed then. So in your presentation in Brussels, you were presenting the results of a simulation, right? Maybe um, you could also outline what FlightKeys is currently focusing on and if FlightKeys um, has ever run real-world deviations as well, apart from simulations. Yes, 100%. Um, so this is this is going to be a long one. I hope to not to not lose track. So FlightKeys is currently doing two things. On the one hand, they're performing simulations as you say so uh, one of the main so one of the main advantages or two of the main advantages that flight keys has compared to other um, university centered uh, simulations even though they are many of them are great and super high tech and super amazing is that flight keys counts with real aircraft data real airline data and real cost prediction 
for airlines because you know many times for example when it comes to fuel fuel pricing is something private it's confidential information and airlines don't disclose what fuel deals they have with the fuel companies and then you know air, university simulations for example they have to have a generic uh price fuel for these things whereas us we have always the latest navigation data fuel data uh, price data over over flight cost, all of these things. So we can really give uh, an accurate view of how flights would look. And then the other thing is that we have flight data from real airlines that that use our, our system. So that's, those are the two main advantages. So what we do is on the one hand, we perform the simulations where we take some of our customers' data when they when they allow us, <laughs> we beg, or many times, no, I, I'm actually I'm actually joking. Uh, this is another thing, it's completely out of the question, but we have many airlines who are actually asking us to perform the simulations as a keynote when people say, oh, airlines are not interested or airlines, actually airlines really want to know, hey, we're starting to hear noise about this. Can you tell us how much it would cost us? And here we go. And then we are encouraged to use their data and to perform the simulation. So then they, we import all of their flights into this lab environment. Um, where we have all of our control features and everything so I can break and play around with. And then we run all of these flights with control avoidance. And what we do is that we evaluate all of the flights. First, we calculate them as we usually would with the minimum cost route. And then we analyze these flights with the COSIP model, which is one of the control models available out there. And we get back a value of energy forcing. All of those flights that generate warming controls are going to be rerouted around the ISSR prediction areas that we have imported into our system. And then we're going to reevaluate these new trajectories and we're going to compare them with the original ones. So we're going to have a value of rerouted trajectories or the control optimal trajectories and the opposite cost optimal trajectories that would have run in the real world. And then what we can do is that then we can compare the difference between the two, how much cost would it have added to, to operate this flight, how much fuel increase, was there any delay or time cost associated to it? And then of course, which is another of the big things, uh, another of the big comments that comes with it, is this flight even reroutable? Because of course we are talking about congested airspaces and um, lots of yeah <laughs> congestion and airspaces that you cannot avoid and whatever. And those are at the moment the four core parameters that we look at. And that is one of a huge part of what Flight Keys is doing. And that is what we presented in the, the Eurocontrol meeting for summer simulations that we did with one of our big American customers. And then on the other hand, we started recently this year, very exciting news, um, performing live trial simulations with another of our low cost European carriers. And for the moment, we're not performing control avoidance that most likely will come in the next months. What our career, what this career is doing is that we select specific flights, we run the COSIN model, we get a value of energy forcing and predicted areas where this energy forcing is going to form. And then this airline is going to try to stick as precisely as possible to the route that we have planned. Because, you know, many times then when the airlines go out and then there's delays and there's airport delays and then there's weather changes and it's very hard to, to assure that the flight that the route that was planned is going to be stuck to 100%. So in this case, we get pilots that are, you know, <laughs> they are like, okay, we have to keep this flight plan as, as close as possible as the one that was planned. And then they're going to run this, this exact flight. And 
we're going to verify or not ourselves breakthrough energy mark shapiro uh is going to check if that flight that we have planned did generate the controls that were predicted or not if there wasn't if there were no control predictions then did it really not generate any control that's good if there were controls predicted to happen did they really happen and this is a way for us to start refining um the COSIP model in this case and then yeah and then in some months from now we will start actually performing control avoidance trajectories and start analyzing the efficiency of those um yeah and those are our two core works that we're doing at the moment when it comes to control avoidance and getting amazing uh, results amazing engagement from the airlines of course it's something that airlines are a bit scared of um but i have to say they're very they're getting more and more invested because the values that we're getting are very low when it comes to cost so of course it's something that airlines get very happy about <laughs> and yeah so that's it <laughs> this is very exciting i mean Uh, that there is such a huge interest. I can perfectly imagine that this is also a great way for you to um, establish this relationship early on with airlines, right? Uh, and communicate the importance, first of all, of, of contrails, the relevance, but then also the, the potential feasibility. When I see these simulations, I always ask myself, but when are airlines actually going to do like real world deviations, you know, because it's so, I mean, it's, it's great to get these analyses um, uh, within your partnership that you have. Um, I would like to have uh, one of those, to be <laughs> honest, but you know, there's a difference to actually making um, the real world deviations because you pointed out that you can tweak it in such a way that actually the fuel penalty is very low or even close to nothing. For me, that's an argument to to do it. It's like a, it's a no-brainer. So what is holding back airlines to push the button and do real deviations? So I can imagine that what is really pushing airlines back is the entire debate still surrounding control avoidance. When I started working in Flight Keys three years ago and we started um, researching control avoidance, We attended the Royal Aeronautical Society back then, and that's how we got into contact with Max, Mark Stetler and Mark Shapiro. Um, first time I met Kieran. <laughs> and um, back then it was like 50 people in a room talking, up, talking about a topic that I had never heard of. Um, still very funny because when I still tell my parents what I'm researching, they're still like, nah, shut up. You're inventing, you're, 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 <laughs> what, what are you talking about? How can that be bad? Um, so yeah, so it's really something that people are still not, you know, people still don't know about. And it was very new. And in these three years, the world of control avoidance has changed immensely. It has gotten such a big boon. More and more people are researching into it. More and more airlines are getting interested, but it's still fairly new. I know that Ian Paul said that we have the science already prepared because the military people have been using it for, for, cent for, for centuries, for a century. Um, but as far as commercial aviation goes, this was not a deal until what, Yeah, three years ago, last year, I don't know. So I guess airlines are still waiting for this confirmation of it's a sure science. Let's go for it. Everybody agrees on it. Everybody agrees on the metric. Hard thing to do. Everybody agrees on, on how warming it is. And there was there's still a lot of controversy on the media. There was this paper by David Lee that came out um, a month ago or two months ago, specifically highlighting the 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 uncertainties surrounding it and then you know airlines read this and then they get very scared immediately because what if we increase the fuel consumption and then we're going to be the bad guys because we try to do this and then it's not certain so i think that's what makes it's making airlines more and more scared 
And in flight keys, what we try to tell our customers and anybody who's interested is, look, there's, there's going to be uncertainty surrounding the science. And that's something that we're working on. That's why we're doing live trials. That's why we are doing all of the simulations. And we have more and more great minds thinking of this problem constantly. <laughs> but what we want you to see this is as a risk reward scenario, the same way, um, I don't know, you go to the casino, not saying I go to the casino, but you know, the same way you go to the casino and you bet on something knowing what the potential reward could be and what the loss of what it's the given loss that you're willing to take. So what we're telling you is, look, you could have a reduction of 70% of energy forcing with an investment of 0.02% increasing cost. It, it could be, it could be that suddenly it's not minus 70% energy forcing, but then maybe it could be minus 10% energy forcing and we overestimating how, overestimated how much that was. But the risk that you have to consider if for you this potential gain or potential loss or however you want to put it is worth it is 0.02% increase in cost. Is it still appealing to you? Knowing that there's uncertainty, knowing that there's doubt about it, knowing that it's still something that's going on, on you know, it's still on the way of on research. But I think that the risk is so low and the potential benefit could be so big that it's still worth considering. And I'm a huge fan of Ian Paul and everything that he says. And yeah, we want to tell our airlines like, yes, of course there's risk. We're not going to tell you, yeah, we're, you're going to avoid 100% all of these things if you use our methods. Where we're telling you is like, we can tell you that a precise cost estimate of, of how this is going to cost because we have a very precise cost estimation tool is telling us that the cost is very low. And that is how we want to, to sell it, <laughs> not sell it, but to convince airlines not as a, this is a sure science, so bet on it, is the risk reward is so big that you should go for it. Yes, you mentioned there's a lot of uncertainties in contrail prediction and the climate impact prediction compared to that of CO2, as we had Beth, uh, Dr. Beth Owen on the show last week. Mm -hmm. um, she, she highlighted the fact that you've got CO2, which can last for many hundreds of years in the atmosphere, whereas contrails only last for up to a day. So there is the trade-off there that any additional fuel that you burn is going to be lasting, the, the, the CO2 will be lasting there for a long, long time. Um, so I'm just wondering, what, what ways do you use at uh, Flight Keys to really validate contrail management and maybe to prove your parents wrong that they're... <laughs> There's, there's no way proving my parents wrong, but <laughs> um, yeah, when it comes to fuel, I have to say that is, um, so for example, we, we talked about in my summer simulation, we saw that the increasing cost would be 0.07% and the increase in fuel would be 0.11%. If we avoided all, if we tried to reroute all flight warm flights that generate control warming in a series of simulation that was over 49,000 flights. So the increase in fuel wouldn't be that high. And then, I mean, I think that the thing about fuel and CO2 is CO2 is a huge problem for aviation, but for many other industries. And I think that the human, this is going to be more philosophical general, <laughs> the human being as a whole, we have to reduce our carbon consumption, aviation, of course, but also, you know, agriculture, uh, the other other transportation, cars, everything. So 
I think that we all have to collectively reduce CO2 and reduce fuel consumption. And when it comes to aviation, we're consuming so much fuel that if the potential of reducing energy forcing by a lot comes from increasing fuel consumption by 0.11%, and that is the maximum. If you go rerouting every single flight that generates warming controls, then in the paper that's coming soon, um, we also mentioned that you could strategize which flights to avoid, to reroute and which flights not to. You know, Mark Stetler and Roger Thiel talk about the big hits concept and how you can, you know, select only those 2% highest warming flights that could, you know, reduce the energy forcing by 80%. Or in flight keys, we are now incorporating this cost-based avoidance, which basically consists of, you know, like, okay, uh, airlines can select which flights to reroute based on the of a relation between how much energy forcing you can reduce to which price. You know, so the highest reward for the minimum price flights could be selected, and that's something that then, if it's a cost value, airlines can have the can have the say on how much money they want to invest in it. And the whole thing is that you can go from rerouting, let's say, five thousand flights, to rerouting one thousand flights or less, and still have a minimum impact. And then, the, of course, the fuel increase would, would be even lower. So we would be adding very little fuel and the potential reward could be so high. And it's, it's not just, you know, how, oh, airlines are very bad because they're increasing their fuel consumption by 0.11% because they want to avoid contrails which could potentially reduce the radiative forcing of the flight by 60%. If somebody comes pointing aviation for that, then that's that's a bit ridiculous. We can start by, I don't know, uh, this is me rambling a bit, but making cars in airports electric or make, you know, there's so many other yeah. options we could go for to save fuel, but not on research to avoid non-CO2 effects. That seems also like, I don't know, going on the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. How do you validate what you do, what influence you have? I mean, you could, you know, take well forecast uh, weather data and put them through the numerical or physical uh, prediction pipeline, but you could also use observational data, right? And uh, for example, mm. the Google approach is uh, observational data. And how do you validate this? And are you purely relying on what Google is doing or are there like many different approaches to, to validate this? There are different approaches to validate this. Uh, right now, FlightKeys is not validating the results that we get. Uh, specifically also because flight keys, um, and we know this because we're collaborating with Google Research and Breakthrough Energy, and many times they ask, oh, can you rerun flights from eight months ago? Can you rerun the summer simulations using this other model? And because flight keys is a flight planning software, what we do is we try to simulate the real scenario of an airline, and an airline would not have the need to reroute flights eight months in the past, right? So flight keys... Uh, is usually focused more on, on the future, future flight planning. Uh, we can have, we can reroute flights, we can recalculate flights a certain amount in the past, but we don't keep the aircraft data, like the weather data and the restriction data from eight months in the past because that for flight keys is not useful. Um, so what we do is we run our simulations and then we share the data with our partners and then they are in charge of validating that. So of course, Uh, we are collaborating with Breakthrough Energy, Breakthrough Energy uh, through their Contrail map and all of the other apps. They're always verifying the models in the past. And then there's also Google 
start collaborating with Google Research and it's an amazing team. You should interview Dinesh because Dinesh is great. <laughs> and um, and he, yeah, and, and they're also, uh, yeah, they, they use satellite data to verify it, which is also very cool. But yeah, but flight keys on its own, we're not verifying afterwards the, the process, so to say, that we leave it to the to the other experts. <laughs> and you mentioned that you use uh, COSIP, the Contrail Series Prediction Tool, um, developed by Professor Schumann at DLR. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's any, are there any limitations to this, this method in, in terms of implementation for your purposes? And are there potentially any alternatives that you could be using? Um, and have you compared these models to COSIP in terms of their accuracy or their prediction score? Um, so, I mean, I think that there's limitations to every model. <laughs> if, if anybody, if you ask anybody, they can all say, oh, well, of course, um, every model has its limitations. COSIP, as far as, as I understand, I'm not an expert in COSIP by all means, but all of them, already all of the models that depend on meteorological data have the clear drawback that meteorological data is uncertain. And even as Ian Paul said, well, now maybe that the need comes by that we need better forecasts for ISSRs and whatever, then maybe the models just improve a lot by sheer improvement of the weather models. But as far as, as long as the weather models are not as good, then you are subject to the model having uncertainties. Uh, we are uh, checking, we are um, comparing different models. So we have the COSIP model. Then we also have, we're gonna start also testing the Google model. So the Google model um, is the ISSR prediction. So as we know, they use AI to run, to you know predict to the future what past, um, what happened in the past, so to say with AI, and it's very cool. Again, I cannot explain it as Dinesh, but um, it's it's great. And so that's something we're going to start using to predict the ISSRs and how the ISSRs that Google predicts are different from those that weather models predict. And then as a, on a third uh, area that we're also going to compare is the ACCFs. Do you know what the ACCFs are? ACCFs are algorithmic climate change functions. So they're effectively a measure of climate sensitivity. So the degree of temperature change that you're expecting from a particular flight segment. Uh, and that could be for contrails, it could be for NOx uh, primarily. So what they do is they parameterize these warming effects based on a number of, uh, a, a small number of parameters, which are decided based on probabilistic analysis. So they've tried to narrow it down to just a few parameters. So like maybe temperature, pressure, humidity for contrails. And based on those parameters, they try and predict what the contrail climate forcing would be for a particular contrail produced. Um, so they're a lot different in, in the way that COSIP works because COSIP is explicitly modeling the contrail itself and trying to capture all of the different parameters. Whereas this is a much simpler way to do it. Obviously the, the computational load is a lot less um, and it means that we can get a, a first order estimate of these effects compared exactly. to, yeah, <laughs> more elaborate modeling like COSIP. <laughs> Wow, that was amazing. I would never have been able to explain it as good as you have. So thank you. Um, but yeah, but the, the the core advantage of ACCFs is that it also includes NOx and other non-CO2 effects. And that's also something that we want to compare um, with with COSIP and the, with the Google model. So we are working on on comparing other models and see how how this would, would work. But 
regardless of the model um, and regardless of the of the metric and regardless of everything, what Flight Keys really wants to come across is, as we mentioned before, the risk reward scenario of all of the models have their uncertainties. That's something everybody's working on, but the risk that the the risk that you have to be willing to take as an airline is an increase of cost of 0.0 whatever percent to potentially avoid controls. Would you be interested? Yes or no? Yeah. Regardless of the model. So now that we've seen three approaches to actually predict contrails, uh, which have been laid out here in detail, it also makes sense to then think about the, this whole topic of cost optimization. And uh, you've already laid out the process in the beginning. Okay, how do you plan a flight to get from A to B? Right now, airlines still have allowances for the CO2 emissions, right? So right now, when you say you're helping airlines to optimize the cost, then what's going in is uh, cost of fuel, it's um, overflight charges, and of course, also being late, there are also associated charges with that, right? Yes, maintenance costs, everything. Maintenance costs, there's they're such a long tail, right? Connected mm -hmm. to um, being on time as well. But soon, it's going to get more complicated because then there is also this dynamic ETS kind of markets with uh, CO2 certificates, right? So how is that incorporated in a flight planning uh, product at all? Because it must also be part of the cost calculation, right? Yes. So how we are envisioning this is, you know, the, the final cost, the big C, when you're looking at like a, an equation, will be a sum of different small Cs. <laughs> so I should say the cost of fuel, the cost of overflight charges, the cost of this and this. And then we plan to add a separate C called the cost of environment or cost of controls. And how we're going to account for that. So for example, uh, now for control avoidance, we're going to use grip data. So until now, all of our simulations use heart restrictions to avoid the ISSRs. But that method is not very efficient and it will never really go operationally because that would over congest the aircraft even more and ATM is going to kick us in the, in the gut for it. So what we plan to do is this cost-based avoidance, which basically gives a certain cost to a, to a value, that, to a joule, for example. Now, when we, if we're thinking of COSIP, energy forcing is returned in joules, so you can give a certain cost per joule. So there's different areas that have different warming potentials, and that warming area will have a value of joule per meter. So if the aircraft crosses that area and it flies 10 meters through that area, that's going to give you a value in joules. And now that, that amount in joules can be transformed to cost, well, can be transformed to CO2 equivalents through um, through. Mark Stetler, <laughs> Mark Stetler can explain that, but through uh, some magical formula that I don't know if I remember, but it's in, it's in CO2 our CO2 equivalents, and then the, depending on the metric, right, you would get an equivalence. And then what you're referring to is that there is a some kind of market regulation that puts non-CO2 equivalents in relation to CO2 emissions. Yeah, you can have a value of dollars per ton of CO2 equivalents at the same value that will have a, a value of dollars per ton of CO2. Uh, with the ETS. And then that's something that can be regulated. As far as now we're planning this from a simulation perspective, and this is the good thing, is that this value, it's something that can be configured. We can do calculations, assuming that this value is very high, assuming that this value is very low, or assuming that this value is non-existent. If you put a price to zero, 
then you would have the cost of the mole trajectory regardless of climate. If we put a value very high, then you would automatically go to climate optimal trajectories, right? And this is something that we can, I mean, depending, we, I know in other episodes, you also talked about the carrot and the stick and how this will eventually be implemented. Will it be a taxation? Will it be uh, an incentive? Um, this is, yeah, kind of a complicated topic. What we see from our side is, you know, airlines could have the choice of setting this value to whatever they want until if eventually this becomes a tax and then you know that the price per ton of CO2 equivalent will be this much, then the optimizer will account for that much and that's it. If not, airlines can play around with this value so they can set it low, they can set it high, they can set it whatever and see what different options the optimizer would give. And then the dispatcher can choose, you know, okay, so if we set it low, then I would say maybe we're going to reroute the most warming areas, but not all areas, because that would be just completely inefficient. If we set it medium, then we will avoid a bit more of areas, but not all of them. And then if you set it super high, then every single controlled probability area will be avoided. You know, So the idea is a bit to give the power back to airlines and to set this in terms of cost, which is something way more um, visible, way more visceral for airlines because that's what they usually talk in and and that's how we i think it's going to be working operationally at least in the near future that's how we envision flight keys is going to provide this we already have the polygon based approach we already have it for our customers to use but we recognize that you know it, it slows down optimis- the optimization process because you have way more restrictions in the airspace and uh, what we notice is that there are situations where our optimizer cannot find the solution to to the optimization problem. So you cannot reroute around controls area. I'm sorry, but with the cost avoidance, it will not be a yes or no, and this is the price and this is the fuel. It will be we can give you different options based on your on your environmental strategy and how much you want to invest in this, and then we can, you know, you can choose from these options, which one you think it's the best. So it's a more flexible solution, soft constraints, and we think this is how it's gonna go uh, operationally, most likely in in the future, in the next months. <laughs> We've learned so much about flight planning today, and it was very insightful. And what gives hope is certainly that we are now moving from doing simulations and analyses to actual real life trials. And um, you've already gave us a little bit of a teaser by mentioning a paper that comes out regarding maybe big hits. I don't know. We're really excited to (laughs) to see that. Um, Another teaser that we need to plug here now is our next guest. And the next guest will be Rémi Chevalier. And uh, in our tradition, you have the chance to pass on a question to him. Rémi is a tough one. Um, But I guess Rémi... Um, in your honest opinion, do you think we will have contrail avoidance implemented commercially in the next five years? That's a good one. I think <laughs> I'm going to stress the honest opinion part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, this was great. We could continue for hours. Um, and it's just great to see the progress that you're doing with flight keys and within your PhD. So um, all the best on that journey. And uh, yeah, hopefully speak soon. Thank you very much, Mario Skirin. It's been a pleasure. I love your podcast and I will recommend it to everybody, especially my parents, since they don't believe me. (laughs) Thanks for the support. Thanks for the support and thanks for being here. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. Bye.